Pet Chat. And joining me today, we've got Cheryl Shaw and our pet vet, Dr. Paul McCarthy. Moving anywhere is always a bit tricky, isn't uh, it? It's a stressful time not just for our pets but for us as well but we need to make sure that we minimize that stress on the dogs as much as possible and not just dogs cats really feel it don't they paul yeah and cats probably even more so than dogs in that cats sadly bond to their territory much more than than dogs do um uh, but we don't often recognise that. So for a cat to move from one location to another is quite a stressful event. Yeah, just when you start even packing a suitcase to go Correct. on holidays, the cats start to feel, oh, what's going on? Get a bit edgy, get a bit uptight. So it's really important that when you are packing that you confine your cat to an area that that it's not able to, number one, get into any of the packing and get lost. Yeah, that's right. But also not to escape because, you know, you're often um, opening doors and things that you might not be doing and you want to make sure that your cat um, is is safe and secure inside. And it's interesting that often during that process, we show very anxious body language and our pets are picking up on that. So um, when we move a house, the, the, as we've already spoken, the amount of stress on us is quite high and we manifest that in body posture and how we move and how we, how we often speak. Um, and pets are often not understanding as to what that stress has been caused by and become hypervigilant to their environment because they're looking for why the social group are responding in that anxious way. Yes, so and it's you're quite right. chaotic, it's not just isn't the it? Move, it's actually the, the preamble before the move that can be quite an anxious time for pets. Yes. Now, Paul, there's products available from vets that you can get to help with um, appeasing these animals, isn't there? Yeah, correct. So there's a really um, good way of doing it in a pretty natural way using pheromones. Um, and so there are, there are pheromones both for dogs and for cats. And you can plug these into your walls like a diffuser yes. or you could have them worn as a collar or a, um, a bandana so that the animal has that, that appeasing pheromone with them all the time. And often they're really good to have both as you're saying your, your shutdown of your own house but if you have it in the new home ready to be sort of running as you arrive, the house is already smelling safe for these new occupants arriving. And a good idea with your cat in particular when you move to the new house is to just lock it in one room and, and right. keep it confined. So cat confinement's really important. Yeah, get, let them have a space they can bond to first before they get access to the full household. And that allows them to have somewhere when they're feeling nervous that they can run to where they know they're safe. Mm. So really important. And often just allowing that sort of two, even two or three days as a minimum for these guys is great. Opening the doors when you're there if you wish to, but really just allowing them to have a space that they can bond to. There's a, a very common phenomenon of cats who try and get out from their new place the first day. They're trying to find their home and they just don't have the ability to do that. Yeah. So the, the, their location skills are not as good as we would give them um, and these cats just end up being lost. So really important that first couple of days to keep your cat very much under control. Dogs, less of a concern, but it's still important that they've got somewhere that they know is theirs, having their bed ready for them when they arrive, again, having their, their same food bowl and, and using those pheromones to try and make the place feel safe as they arrive is also important for dogs. Yeah. I know that my daughter's just left home and um, bought her first house. And, Congratulations. Yes, and she said, Mum, how do I go about taking the two older dogs, so Archie and Vanity, who are 11 and 10, to the new house. So she actually had a sleepover. She took their beds and when she went in the afternoon, just took the dogs and let them ramble around the backyard and just have a smell because there was a previous dog there as well. Terrific. And she, you know, gave them their treats and they slept over. But yeah, it's a really hard time. You need to make sure with dogs that you go around and check the perimeters of the fences, yeah. check that gates latch because you just assume that that's all okay. But dogs are incredible at 
finding ways That's to right. escape. And the other important one is to do a snail pellet and rat sack check as well. Um, often if a house, for example, hasn't had pets before, those owners may have had things down to keep pesticides um, keep their pest levels low and it's really good particularly check garage corners um, check rafters sometimes for cats that are moving around it's just important that you're looking for any of those poisons that could have been left by the previous occupants yeah that's a really good point Paul the other thing too that a lot of people don't realise is to uh, make sure that they're up to date with their microchip change that microchipping address where you're moving to yeah, before you go so just in case they do get out yeah. I know that um, for Zara she actually got another um, tag and put two tags so our dogs are now wearing two tags in case you know <laughs> there's that escape that could happen because you know you're doing different routines in your new home you know moving things in and out often doors are left open um there is a lot of chaos definitely with moving so exactly you know you've got to make sure that they if they do get out that they're wearing tags just so people can identify them because they won't know them in that area it's also a, a, a council requirement so if they did get out without a tag they they can be fined for that yes but the most important as you mentioned surely that microchip number because the Pet find line um, number is where you'll be contacted. So if you haven't updated your new address or phone number with the pet find line, they'll keep trying to contact your last one. So phone numbers are, are critical. Even that's if you don't even move, if you're changing your phone number from one, um, if you're changing your, your provider, you need to change your number sometimes. Check that you've got that updated with the, with the mugship company as well, because it's only as good as as the number that they can reach you on. Yeah, mm. I think too also um, meeting the neighbours and introducing yourself and your pets, letting yeah, them know what idea. you have, because that way if something you know does happen, your dog gets out, goes you know around, somebody might say, oh that's the new person's dog or cat, and and hopefully take them and back it'll to you. Get back, and uh, we are going to hear from Gail who has rung us on that number uh, from Blackhalls Park. Now, Gail, you've got a question for our panel here, our panel of two, and uh, it's about taking your dog out. Is that right, Gail? Yes, taking them to a park, a leash-free park for dogs. I had a bad experience many years ago when my dog was savaged by another dog, but I'd really like to take my dog, my new dog, out um, to get out and about because I live in a one-bedroom unit now. Okay, so can I ask what breed of dog you have, Gail? Cavalier King Charles. Okay, and and how old did you say your cavalier was? Six years old. All right, and so has she ex been exposed to off-lead areas in the past? No. No. Yeah, so it is quite challenging often for a dog of six to um, have that level of socialisation thrust on them in, in one foul swoop. So what you might be better to do initially is um, taking your dog on lead around those areas so that if she is showing some evidence of anxiety, she's not going to run away from you, but you're able to keep her there. And even just walking around the perimeter of the park first, just so that she's seeing the dogs at play without direct dog-to-dog um, -dog contact and what you're looking for as levels of anxiety is where her tail carriage is, is she, is she wagging her tail or is her tail tucked um, what her, um, if she's licking her lips or yawning, they can be early signs of anxiety and just where the ear carriage is, are, are the ears being held up and interested or are the ears being tucked back in a, in a nervous, nervous position and Gauging from her response would then enable you to then see how she wishes to interact with those dogs. Okay, that's good. Yeah. yeah she does like other dogs uh, when she sees them, but I sort of haven't given her that interaction. 
Yeah, and I think certainly choosing your park well is is, is choosing your park well is important as, as as well. In that you want to make sure that the park area has enough space that there, there's not too many dogs in a small confined area, but there's a mix of size of dogs. So you don't want a whole bunch of very large dogs being introduced to a small dog in a hurry. So it's just looking at the other owners around the park as well. In that if they've got good observant owners watching the interactions, it just lowers your level of of concern about your dog being let loose with those other dogs. Alright, that's excellent. Thank you very much for your help. I hope she enjoys the park. And uh, yes, of course, if you're nervous yourself or anxious about things, then the, uh, the dog yeah, is going to Yeah, again, it comes back to that body language. Dogs are always watching us, so we need to be conscious all the time of how we are posturing so that they're getting those correct signals. 49216216, the number to ring for your question to come through to us on Pet Chat today. And Paul and Cheryl here. Dulcie has rung up from Raymond Terrace. Um, your dog does have some problems, Dulcie. Yes, it does. Yes, the what, dog okay. is 12 years old. It's a little Maltese cross. Okay. And, yep, so he had gone blind, like, very, very quickly about eight weeks ago. And had the vet examined the, the reason for that? Um, no, no. They said because he's 12 years old, they said that the cataracts were not okay, a problem. So his cataract. eyes look good. So, so there weren't cataracts? No, okay. no. So there, there can be a couple of conditions that can cause very sudden blindness. One of these is a disease called SARS, um, where the retina detaches. Um, that can be a very sudden onset blindness. Uh, there can also be issues with blood pressure that can cause changes to the retina as well as some um, genetically inheritable conditions that can cause sudden blindness. How has your dog coped with being suddenly blind. Dogs who go blind slowly tend to cope much better than dogs who go acutely blind. Yes, because we lived in the same house ever since he was a pup, more or less, he's sort of still running into everything. He knows where some things are, but he still gets locked along the way. But he's also had a bowel problem as well, and it's only been since he's gone blind where he's got loose motion. So he's been on antibiotics for a couple of weeks for that now, but that doesn't seem to be helping. Certainly, if antibiotics haven't made a difference in a short time period, then they're, they're not the bacterial disease is not the cause. Um, I, I would really suggest that that you probably need to revisit your vets, um, let them know that the diarrhoea hasn't resolved from the antibiotics. In there can be lots of other causes for diarrhoea that are not bacterial in origin. Um, and, and there are certainly conditions that could be linked. So this might be a good indication to have maybe some blood testing done, um, some urinalysis and maybe even some faecal analysis done to try and get... Yeah, a we've done the faeces one. We've done the faeces one, but it was just a bit too hard trying to get the urine one. Okay, yeah, and certainly okay. often if you're using a, a, use a long-handled fry pan, so they're very flat and a very low lip, um, they're often a really easy thing to have that you can actually be a little bit more of a distance away from your dog squatting to collect that urine sample. Oh, okay, yep, yep, yep. So one more question. So we're going on holidays in October, so the people that we're staying with did say that we could take Jack, but we normally get a house sitter. I'd get a house so sitter for sure. Yeah, I was going to say, we could be more stressful. Absolutely. <laughs> Blind dogs do very poorly when suddenly moved to a new location. Yeah, I yeah. thought that. If, only, if you're that. moving house, you can't avoid that. But if it's just for a holiday, I would definitely recommend a house sitter. 
Oh, because it's just that he usually stresses at the best of time if I'm not there. He usually frets for the first couple of days. Yeah, you could probably multiply so, that tenfold in a blind dog in a new spot. Yeah. yeah, rightio, rightio. Okay, so you don't reckon give him anything different in food or anything? I, I would think if this has been three weeks of diarrhoea, then I would really have a chat to your vet. Yeah. Vet, rightio. Okay, I'll chase it up again. Every week I go back and I say to him, like, his bowels still isn't real good. Yeah, I'd take him along, right. have a consult, get it, get an answer. Barry um, has rung in from... Uh, Teralba. Now you've got a young dog, but your dog is going through the garden. It seems. Uh, no, it's not that. She um, it's a full kelpie. Um, I've, I got her up at Stroud, but ever since she's been a pup, she's always eaten this particular grass. Um, she's on a, and I understood that when they eat grass, they're they're pretty sick. But mate, she's as healthy as you yeah. know. We feed her a, a good diet. Um, she gets 4Ks exercise every day, you know, um, but she still eats this grass. So yeah, so the, the eating grass discussion, um, it doesn't always mean they're sick, and in actual lots of cases can mean no illness at all. Some dogs just eat grass as part of their general um, environmental enrichment. The, if there's no vomiting and no diarrhoea associated with eating the grass and, and the grass isn't the fact that all I do is just run out to the garden and try and eat grass, then generally there's no issue with eating grass at all. Um, I think a lot of people get very panicked about their dogs eating grass because there is this sort of story that if you eat grass then the dog is unwell. But lots of dogs eat grass in, in, you know, in very small volumes on a regular basis. Um, we're not quite sure why that happens, but it doesn't cause any health issues at all. But yeah. if your dog's focusing on just eating grass and we're getting vomiting and diarrhoea associated with that condition, then they're eating grass because they feel unwell. Um, yeah. And that's the difference, I think, in your situation, Barry, is I wouldn't be concerned about the grass eating if we're in good health. Yeah, she, she doesn't do any vomiting or diarrhoea, you know. Like I said, she gets a strict diet. Um, do you like feeding dogs room meat? Because we cook our room meat up and um, all the veggies, we give her sardines twice a week. Yeah, no, your diet sounds fine. So I always recommend all meats are cooked. I'm, I'm not a big fan of raw meats generally. Um, I tend to think you get much less reaction in the bowel if you feed a cooked meat. Uh, I think you've also got much less risk of salmonella and other conditions you can have from eating raw foods. So I, I'm a bit of a cooked meat fan. Um, I think provided that your protein isn't more than about 20 to 30% of your intake is important, uh, particularly for large breed dogs who can develop um, bone issues with, with high protein diets. It's important that your diet has a good mix of both fibre and protein and so I think provided you're giving the vegetables as long with your meat I think roux meat is fine. Oh well that's great. Yeah she's such a good dog and she looks so healthy everyone Terrific. you know says about a coat and all you know but Sounds I was like just worried right about track. this grass. Yeah, yeah so I would ignore if, if things are going well I don't think the grass is an issue for you. Fantastic thanks for your call Barry. Um and uh, we were talking about anxiety of dogs. Michael has rung in from Lemon Tree Passage and he's got a new rescue dog. And uh, your dog's a little bit anxious, Michael. Uh, yeah, that's right. Especially if it's left alone. Um, even if it's just for, you know, for an hour or two. If we go out early in the morning or anything like that, then it's, uh, as soon as it knows we're going out, it won't eat breakfast, won't eat all day. Uh, sometimes it won't even eat in that evening after we've come back it gets that. Um, anxiety seems to come on. Okay, how, um, how, how long have you had the dog for, Michael? Uh, about 
four or five weeks now. Okay. And do you know any history of the dog? Uh, yes, it seemed like the dog had a fairly good family. Unfortunately, went through from a breakup. But the the latter period of its life, it was basically put into doggy daycare all day, just yeah. to run wild all day, and then picked up at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. So this is a situation where the dog really hasn't had to learn by the sounds of things to be on its own, um, and so now asking it having to to be on its own, having had doggy daycare each day. Um, it's probably a, a bit of a, a shock for the dog. What breed of dog did you say it was? It's a boxer. A boxer. So boxers, by their nature, can be a little bit overrepresented in dogs who develop anxiety and separation anxiety as one of those traits. Um, so the problem with anxiety conditions such as separation anxiety is it's really about trying to teach the dog that it's safe in its own environment, which is um, often difficult in the fact that most people have to go to work. So what you can try and do is have a chat to your local vet about using some anxiety medications. That can sometimes help in, in controlling both the level of anxiety and also the degree of separation. And there are yeah. also some um, desensitization techniques you can use when you're leaving to try and make the, the actual anxiety not be triggered. So certainly don't say a big goodbye or a big hello. Um, so you don't sort of leave the house going bye, 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 it'll be okay, I'll see you when you go home. We don't rev the dog up before we leave. Um, yep. We try and actually make our leaving a very low level of excitement. And the same with our return. We don't sort of go, oh, it's great to see you, I'm so pleased to see you, I'm home. Um, we let the dog calm down on our arrival and when the dog is calm, we then give our praise and our, our affection. We, we try yeah, only, only to praise the behaviour we wish to maintain and ignore any behaviour you wish to extinguish, which is that anxiety or hyper-excitability that can be manifested by boxes. Um, I think this will be a process that will take some time. How old did you say the dog was? Yeah, so we've had a dog that's experienced a fair degree of attention for a fairly important time in its life with that real sort of up to 18-month social maturity time period. So this will be a fairly big adjustment to go from having that degree of sort of constant attention from somebody as in a daycare facility to being on our own. So this will be a process I would suggest you might talk to your vet about um, and then he can give you some advice about even some training with that or, or advise a trainer to help you with the process. Yeah, the other issue we've got, we're taking it to training every week and as soon as it gets to training, it sees the other dog other dogs it's just jumping doing spinning circles in the air with yeah yeah so you might be looking more mainly, mainly you know when it's on its own it's fine it was yeah so I, I wouldn't in any way be putting this dog into a group training situation I, I think that would be a bad choice I would look much okay. more for a one-on-one -on -one, um, or a small group um, uh, training facility um, you'll get flooding there'll be there'll be too much excitement too much happening for him to be able to concentrate on you in any of those groups large group areas yeah, see, he doesn't actually need training. No, no, he just needs, those large he, he groups. needs to learn yeah, it leads to learning anxiety yeah. management, yeah, which is much more a one-on-one -on -one condition. And lots of good trainers will come to your home and help you with that rather than actually going somewhere and learning in a different spot. Excellent. Well, thank you for your call, Michael, and all the very best with your new dog. This is Pet Chat to a new RFM. It's 20 to 1. We're taking your calls, 49216216. Helen has rung in from East Maitland. Helen, now you've got a cat. We've got our first cat question, Paul. And... Uh, your cat had a similar problem to Dulcie's dog earlier on. We spoke yes. to Dulcie. Mm -hmm. Yes? I changed his food 
and he got diarrhea a couple of months later. I took him to the vet. They did several tests and couldn't find anything wrong with him. And I told them that I'd changed his food. And once I put him back on to his other food, he was fine. Yeah, and certainly diet management is, in 90% of cases, the reason why diarrhea will develop. Um, I think different to this case with Dulcie's dog is that there's also some other diseases happening at the same time. And I just get nervous that um, this, having been for three weeks, is a long time for diarrhoea to be persistent, e- even with for a diet change. But I think you're 100% correct. There are lots of animals that respond very poorly to even the change of a diet or the different protein that's in the diet. So the, the step one in any case of diarrhoea is, is if you have changed the diet, um, fasting and going back to a bland diet for a couple of days and then return to the diet you were using or if you do wish to reintroduce the dog to a new diet you do that very gradually as a mix of the old and the new over a period of three or four days so that the change isn't so sudden. Would that perhaps um, help with humans too, Paul? Oh, we're the same. The reason why lots of travellers get diarrhoea is because we suddenly eat something very different that we haven't had. So ah, the old same rules diarrhea. apply. That's right. <laughs> okay, and Jenny has rung in from Katara. Now, um, you've got a question about feeding your dog, Jenny. I do, thank you. Um, look, I've got an eight-month Maltese poodle. She's never been a big eater, and I generally, I've been trying to feed her twice a day now, but she never seems to want to eat, like, the breakfast-type meal, and so I just leave it down, and then she gradually eats it, like, later in the day. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, is it okay just to feed her once a day? Cause yeah. So certainly yeah. you've got a poodle. Did you say a poodle cross? Uh, it's a Maltese cross. Yeah. She's only four kilos. She's yeah. not so, a So poodles are much more excited by their world around them than generally by their food. So right. they, they are dogs that are very, very often slow to eat their meals. If there's anything busy happening around them, then there'll be something more to do than eat um, as compared to other breeds of dogs. Provided that she's maintaining her body weight, and that she's growing appropriately, feeding once, twice, or as many times as you wish to feed your dog is fine. Um, Generally, it's it's based on what the dog wishes to do. So I wouldn't be in any way concerned about a a once-a-day feeding for her. She does sound like, obviously, she she does eat her food, but... um, the, the poodle, any of the poodle lines uh, are very commonly dogs who are just too busy to eat. Oh, okay. My yeah. only worry was I just thought one meal, like, you know, three quarters of a cup of food, was, <laughs> it would have been a lot for her. Like I didn't want to make it sick, but yeah, and make, look, and it obviously it, it isn't. She's she's not not vomiting and having issues with the, with the meal. Um, oh, and well, if, you, if you are, I haven't, I haven't let her have just one meal yet. I always just leave food out for her, and you know she'll gradually eat it later in the day, and sure. then she will eat her night meal when we eat. Yep. But um, I generally like give her a half and one meal, and but she's not really fussed. I just thought. Should I just feed her once a day then? Yeah, you can certainly trial that. And you could even do your evening meal in two two parts. So if you're you're concerned about there being an overfilling of the stomach and a regurgitation, just divide your meal into into, into two. Have have seconses, um, (laughs) and that, that can often help as well. All right. Oh, as long as it's okay. I just didn't want to, you know... No, absolutely fine. The thing to be monitoring is weight gain. Um, if, you've got, if your weight's fine, then you're all under control. Faye has rung 49216216 from Bolton Point. Faye, your dog's diet is giving you a slight problem too. Yes, he's eating dirt. <laughs> okay. So um, he's still eating his normal food? Yes, he eats uh, mainly dry food. Yep, yep. Um, <coughs> So, so, so dirt eating generally is a can be a boredom response. 
So um, how many walks and sort of games are, are we getting? You're not getting an awful lot of walks at the moment. Okay. So that, that's possibly where this behaviour is coming from. So, um, so often these sorts of behaviours are stimulated by, by boredom responses. It, it's just something fun to do. Um, you can get a syndrome called pica, which is where a diet is depleted of um, elements that, in it that the dog needs, and often they'll eat weird things because of that. But in a dog with eating normal food, um, I would imagine this is a, a fairly classic boredom response. A boredom one? Oh, well, yeah. I don't know might have been anemic or something like that? No, so anemia will present generally with pale mucous membranes. So if you lift up the lip um, on your dog and check the gum colour, um, you're okay. looking for it to be nice and pink. Um, huh? and, and anemic dogs are generally very um, lethargic. So your red cell's job is to carry blood to your um, muscles and your other tissues. If you haven't got enough of those carriers doing that oxygen transfer, you just are very weak. So anemia is often often brought on, often one of the things you'll see with anemia is, is is a weakness associated with that lack of oxygen carriage as well. So as as it's not common for, for dirt eating to be associated with a particular um, blood disorder like that. But as I said, you can get pica, but it would be more likely in a dog that's being cooked a, a home-cooked meal that is missing something, like dogs who only eat protein, for example, or uh, a solely fish-based diet. Things that don't give you a good balance are what tends to bring on pica. This situation sounds much more to me that your dog is just finding something else to do and maybe looking at some games if you can't get walks in, um, just some activities that you could do. You could use a, a treat ball to try and put your food in there to give the dog something to sort of spend more time getting the food out of or some chew toys, something that will just sort of stimulate the brain um, and, and deflect away from this sort of coping mechanism that's been developed of eating the dirt. All right, excellent. All right, thank you very much for your help. No problems at all. Good luck. Four nine two one six two one six. If you've got a question to put to Paul and to Cheryl today, when you you're thinking about getting your dog something to do, uh, is it true that you always have to be there to play with the dog? Paul? No, no. So there are lots of really good toys out there now that can keep a dog stimulated with with you absent, and that's often where a lot of these toys really come into their own because it's. Um, for dogs like the separation anxious dogs or the working dogs who just don't have work to do, boredom, destruction, those sorts of things are very common scenarios. So if you can find a game that stimulates your dog while you're absent, that's a terrific way to keep that dog occupied. Mm, okay. Yeah, my dog's got a basket full of toys and we leave that basket full every morning. We come home of a night and it's emptied all over yeah, the conservatorium terrific. and he's played with certain toys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we often underestimate that when we go to work, we're being stimulated. Um, and for some dogs, certainly young dogs, being home alone without an actual task to do or, or a game to play really can bring out some, some boredom and, and that can sadly lead to anxiety and separation anxiety. So sort of really capturing that dog's attention while you're home, uh, while you're not at home with, with another toy is a really great thing. And it's behaviour enrichment. Yes. We'd hate to be bored all day, so do our pets. Yeah. And Paul, just when we were talking before about moving, when you move, you need to keep your pet up to date with um, preventative tick and flea treatments. Yes, actually I'm glad you brought it up Cheryl. So we disappointingly have had some ticks for the last few weeks so oh. um, this is not classically what Newcastle sees as its tick season but I think we've thrown away the idea of a tick season locally. I think ticks are there now all year round and yeah. so vigilance is important. So yeah, so um, it's, it's one of the things that do often get missed when you're packing your boxes and your bags and your everything else and you're in the, in the mix of moving is that 
a month's treatment can go by, um, and for tick treatment, that can be a really big risk. Yeah, and moving to a new location as well, you just don't know what's there because there could be all sorts of things happening. But, Paul, on that, a lot of people go, oh, it's wintertime, I don't treat for ticks, but it's so wrong. They need to treat monthly, every month without fail. I think we've got it, we've been, global warming and the environment changing that we're seeing, the tick season isn't that narrow spot over summer anymore. We're we're, we're seeing them out of season as we had had this last few weeks, Um, and we We've had them in June, July almost every year now for the last two or three. Yes. So I I think really critical that we don't forget that they are still out there. And interestingly, we get more cases of tick paralysis brought in out of season than in because people are thinking exactly that, that they don't need to treat during the winter because the ticks just aren't out there. And that may have been the case 20 years ago, but soon not the case now. And that goes for fleas as well. Yes. So the flea season is now all year round. So those people who are just sort of treating when the fleas are bad, those eggs are building up in the environment so when they do kick and that that heat season really does kick in you've got a large burden waiting to just erupt into your house so yeah keep up your flea treatment as well through the winter well there's still time for another call if you'd like to uh, ask paul and cheryl something 49216216 speaking about moving your pets do birds smaller animals like birds and fish for example do they feel anxiety when they move Locations. Yeah, it's interesting. So, any fish we don't know, um, and I think predominantly because their environment comes with them. Um, so, I think that is one of the things we're probably less worried about because their 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 the water will be changed as they move, but they do tend to have that. And when you do move fish initially, don't feed them directly as well. Um, often transport can, can play a role in gut disease in, in fish, so often just um, waiting a little while before you feed, depending upon the, 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 the species of fish you have. Uh, birds actually are very affected by movement. Um, we, we think that because they're often in their caged areas, that's their home, but their home is all that they can see. And so there can be a large difference in moving birds, particularly the parrot family. They can be very territorial. And and so moving birds from one um, location to another can really play a role with anxiety and that can be manifested as feather plucking. So you can often get birds who will actually start to pull the feathers of, on their breast muscles off. Um, that's a very strong indication of anxiety. Yeah. I remember, yeah, so, and just in cats as well, Paul, they overgroom sometimes, Correct, don't they? Just yeah. like that... Uh, yeah, the plucking. That's right. And the, and the classic area is that groin inguinal on the on the belly, um, mm. the stomach area. That's the real, um, often hidden area where cats will overgroom, where an owner may not notice that. So if you are, you know, if you do see your cats being a lot of time grooming, particularly underneath, that can very much be an anxiety response. Mm. Interesting. I remember a friend who had a sulphur crested cockatoo in a in a cage, fairly small cage, although it used to come out in the house, and um, it was totally naked, yeah. no feathers at all. Yeah, and so sadly that can be due to a, a, another disease called cytosine beacon feather disease, um, which is which is sadly a fatal disease of, of um, our parrot family, but certainly in that circumstance could be related to anxiety, mm. yeah. Now, Annette has rung in. Annette, your question will be our last one for today for Pet Chat. You've rung in from Curry, and you've got a question about ticks. Yes, I have. Thank you very much. Um, I was just inquiring because my daughter's got a little uh, Maltese sheep puppy. She's only eight weeks old and she's not fully vaccinated yet, but they're not taking her out of their yard until she is. But they live in Macquarie Hills and their house is going back onto mm. a reserve. They are in a tick area where they are. They are, yeah. yes, and, and the lovely spider as well. What age can she start doing the tick and flea treatment, please? Yeah, okay, so... Uh, 
we can't do a lot of sort of direct product discussion, but I can I can tell you that the, that each of the different products has a different age at which you can treat from. Okay. Um, and if she speaks to her local pet store or veterinarian, they will be able to give her some advice about what age they could start treatment from. But don't assume that all treatments can be can be used um, oh, okay. at the same I... age. Each each drug has its own different um, minimum requirement, uh, and so. Just checking the box, making sure you were doing that, and just remembering that 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 um, lots of tick treatments cannot be used on cats. So please be careful that the product you're using is registered for the species you're using it with. Yes, yes, it's yeah. a little Maltese sheep puppy. Yeah, but so I, there, there, I, I will, there will be products out there available. It's just you just need to check which one you're using to make sure we're safe. The other question is body weight. So some of them will go on both body weight and age. So it's important okay. that, that you're also checking with the weight of your dog um, t compared to the, to the drug so you're not giving it an, an overdose per body weight. I take my little more my little life. I've gone blank. My little mini stouser down there, and she's only four kilos. I've been doing, because I know it's tick area, I've been doing her fortnightly. Is that okay? It, again, depending upon the drug you're using. So um, there are some products that are four weekly for ticks and there are some products that are two, use them every fortnight. Well, same two, so I must be doing okay. Then. Yeah, so check the product instructions. They'll tell you what frequency yeah. you need to apply. Yeah, I just thought I'd ask that because she asked me yesterday about it and I said I'd ring up today and find out. Yeah, so no problems at all. Good to be vigilant. And thank you for your call, Annette, and let's hope it helps other people as well. We're just about at the end of, of Pet Chat today, um, so we've covered a lot of anxiety, haven't we? We have, yes. we have. And, and I, I, sadly, Jane, anxiety is a very common scenario out there. We often aren't seeing it quite as often, uh, recognising it as much as we should, but it is there. Mm, yes. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Our pleasure. Dr. Paul McCarthy and Cheryl Shaw and Pet Chat will be back again next Wednesday, in fact, on 2NURFM. <laughs>